Well, as you are watching this video, it's my, what I believe to be a very safe assumption that you um, chose not to be with us today. You couldn't be with us today in our first worship, sh uh, worship service together um, since sometime early March. And uh, we wish you could be with us. We lament that, but we're trusting that you are making wise decisions for your sake, for the sake of your family and your health. And uh, we know, we believe that the Lord is going to, according to his good and perfect will for us and for you, that he'll have us all together again, um, worshiping him shoulder to shoulder. And uh, because I believe that's what the Lord wants from us. So uh, with that in mind, welcome Welcome to this sermon, and uh, I do pray and trust that it has an impact into your life, and so let's go. All right, so over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at, and if you have the ESV Bible, um, at, the, at the heading of the section that begins with Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, marks of a true Christian. And uh, Charles began that, starting at verse 9, and this is what it says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, Love one another with brotherly affection. We're to outdo one another in showing honor. And then Jasper last week shared with us verse 11, which says, Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And as I look over that list of um, things that are considered to be marks of someone that would be in relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, it's a hard list. It's a really hard list for us to fulfill. There is no way to do that, I promise you. There is no way to live that way apart from the Holy Spirit in your life. But just as I know the Holy Spirit is in me and I'm trusting he is in you, it's my great desire for me and myself that I would be representative of, representative of each one of these, what, we, what is being called marks of a true Christian. And why do I want to do that? I go back to the very beginning of this sermon series, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul says, in view of God's mercies. And when I think about the mercies of the Lord that he extends to me, he extended to me the moment I gave my life to him. He brought to me my salvation. That was a tremendous, tremendous mercy that he would do that for me. And I know this, another great mercy that he's extending to me, just as he has placed me in his eternal kingdom, that one day, one day I'm going to be removed from this broken world and I'm going to be set into the fullness of his kingdom, established with him. That is such an incredible mercy that I latch on to. Two of my favorite mercies, salvation and one day I'm going home to be with him. And, and if you need anything to motivate you to live like this, to look like this, um, to be marked as a true Christian by these things, I, just, I pray that that is you, that that would be your great desire. All right, that's why you should want to look like it. Maybe, maybe today you're sitting and uh, you're, you're sitting on your couch and you're watching this and you're thinking, I really don't even care about that. Why, why should you care? Here's why. And here's what I believe. And I know to be true that tribulation is going to come. It will come into your life. And the more you take on the likeness of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, which these marks are representative of the person of Jesus Christ, the more you take them on, the more you're going to understand how you can experience joy in the midst of any hardship you would face. Hebrews chapter 12 says this of Jesus, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he scorned at shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. 
Listen to that. For the joy that was set before him, which was the cross, and and the scorn that he was going to experience, he saw it as a joy. And why? Because he knew that one day, one day, his joy would be fully realized, his hope would be realized when he would sit down next to the Father in heaven on his throne, his rightful place. Jesus knew what it was like to, to experience joy in the midst of suffering. And the more you take on the likeness of Jesus Christ, the easier it's going to be for you to face tribulation and to face trial. Responding to hardship, that's what we're after today. How do we rightly respond to hardship? Today, three more, three more exhortations. I know there were quite a handful in verses 9 through um, 11, but today we're looking at verse 12. There are three more expect, excuse me, exhortations that Paul has for us, three more marks of a true Christian. And it's our desire, just want to pause for a moment, it's our desire as your pastoral staff to, to exhort you. I think about um, what the Apostle Paul says in Roman, or excuse me, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, knowing the fear of the Lord, your pastoral staff knows the fear of the Lord. We know what it means to stand before a holy God and what it means if we're separated from him. We know the fear of the Lord. And Paul says, because we know the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Look, it's our great desire as we know the fear of the Lord. It's our great desire that you would be persuaded by the, by the truths of the scriptures that we place before you, and then we entrust you as you have this word into the hands of the Holy Spirit to actually do the work and the change in your heart. So please, please be persuaded, okay? So today, I want you to be thinking right now in this moment, what is the current, let's call it a tribulation, because that's what the passage does today, be patient in tribulation. What is the current tribulation or trial or... Um, or suffering, or hardship, what is, the, what is the greatest one of those that you're currently experiencing today? I want you to get that in the forefront of your mind. Here's mine. Here's mine. A week ago, Wendy, she left me for two weeks. I know when she's coming back, Lord willing, but uh, she went off to Canada to see our oldest son and his wife and three grandchildren. She's going to be there for two weeks. And what does that mean for me? Current suffering. I have two teenagers in my house right now, my son and one of his best friends. And guess what? They both are type 1 diabetics. This is quite the trial for me. And it's not even the diabetes piece that's the most scary for me. What's most, what's most threatening to me is the trails that they leave behind themselves all through the house. Like, think about the teenagers that wander through your house, unmade that there, laundry that needs to be done, dirty floors, on and on it goes. It's really, really not that bad. But for those of you with teenagers, you understand what it means to be raising two teenagers. It's really not that bad. But in all seriousness, what is your current hardship? For real, what is your tribulation? Today's passage speaks to that. We're to be patient, patient in times of hardship, patient in tribulation. We're to be rejoicing in hope. We need to know what our hope is so that we know what to be rejoicing in. That is a strong answer for how to face tribulation. And then, of course, we're to be constant in prayer. And so as we get into today's passage, 
as today's passage has answers for us knowing how to deal with hardship. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you right now and we ask that you would do a mighty work in the heart of each one that receives your word today. Lord, I pray, I pray that the persuasive nature of your magnificent word would wash over each one that hears it today and that you, Holy Spirit, would bring change to their heart, would bring comfort to their heart, would help them to know what they are to rejoice in, to, to, to call them into a place of constant prayer, and then to be patient in the hardships that they face. And so, Lord, speak through me now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the passage, Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Real simple. And just like last week, Jasper's passage was his outline. Today, um, verse 12 is its own outline. We don't need to make anything up. And so that brings us, um, that brings us to our first point, where to rejoice in hope. Responding to hardship. How do we do that? We rejoice in hope. I don't need to tell you what it is to rejoice. You know what it is to rejoice. It, it, rejoicing is that thing that wells up inside of you, that emotion that wells up inside of you when, you're, when your team scores the winning touchdown or, or um, the three-point shooter on your favorite basketball team hits the three-point shot to win the game or you watch your daughter score the winning goal in a soccer game, or you see your son give his life to the Lord, or you witness the baptism of your own child expressing true and right relationship with the Lord. That is reason to rejoice. I don't need to tell you what it is to rejoice. I rejoiced last Sunday for this reason. When I received affirmations from each one of my sons as their father, I was overcome by the things they had to say to me. And I rejoice because what they had to say to me makes me think back over the 18 years of, of 19 years of life that I have shared with them. And I see the magnificence of God's incredible grace poured out on both them and me as I parented them and as they were my children. Oh my goodness, that brings me to a place of such great rejoicing. I don't need to tell you what rejoicing is. You know what it's like. But what are we to rejoice in according to this passage? We're to rejoice in hope. We're to rejoice in hope. The focus of our hope is this. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where it begins is the moment you come into relationship with him, accepting the truth of what he did for you on the cross, you let him invite you, you receive the invitation to come into his eternal kingdom and you are established in it. That's the beginning, the focus, that is the point of our hope, is that we are brought into his eternal kingdom. And then its fullness is achieved, its fullness is brought to bear when we are actually brought into the fullness of his eternal kingdom, the day whether he takes us out by death or he returns to bring us home to be with him. That is the focus. That is the point of our hope. That's where our hope should be. The gospel of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to hope, though. We know, we know the, the focus is our, our um, eternity with Jesus in heaven. That's the, the focus of our hope, hope. But what does it actually mean to hope? And so listen to this. There's a worldly hope. You know what it is. It's a crossing of the fingers. It's a crossing of the toes. It's a, it's a, it's a wishful thinking kind of hope. That's something that you so long and desire 
long for and desire will actually happen. You don't know that it's going to, but you hope it does. That's a worldly kind of hope. But listen to how John Piper puts it for us as the the Christian. This is what we have. Don't you love that name, Christian? That, That is who you are if you are in relationship with Christ. But this is the way John says, John Piper says it um, regarding the hope of the Christian. It's a burning desire for something good to happen. You know what that is. It's a burning desire for something good to happen. And for us as Christians, this is the way he finishes it. With a full expectation that it will happen. You desire it to happen and you know it's going to happen. Look at it this way. In the words of Loverboy, if you're from the 80s, in the words of Loverboy, everybody's working for the weekend. Why are they working for the weekend? Because in the words of the Bangles, we all experience manic Mondays. Why is Monday so manic? Because it's so far from the weekend. But you know the weekend is coming, and so we're working for the weekend. We have this longing expectation for the weekend to come. And when it comes, we rejoice and we celebrate for our hope of the weekend has been fulfilled. A burning desire for something good to happen and a full expectation that it will. That's the hope of the Christian. And because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we always have reason to rejoice in hope. What's been the world's response to sickness? Have you been witnessing that? What has the world's response been? For the one that does not know Christ, for the one that is not in the eternal kingdom, this is what this means. I have, to, I have to extend my life as long as I possibly can. I have to do what I can in order to preserve my life so I can get the most out of it and make it last as long as I possibly can because it's all I have. That drives fear. That drives um, an unhealthy response to sickness. That's the way the world responds to sickness. What about you? How have you responded to sickness. Keep this in mind, brother in Christ. Keep this in mind, sister in Christ. What we're experiencing, and we can experience life to the fullest here on earth. But remember this, it is nothing but a shadow of what is to come. The, the, the greatest joy you can experience here on life is nothing in comparison to what you're going to experience when your hope is fully realized and you are standing with Jesus in in heaven. Here's why this is such a big deal that we understand how to rejoice in hope. Are you ready? Think Think of one of our pillars. One of the foundational principles, characteristics of this church is personal evangelism. It's a big deal that you're rejoicing in hope and I think especially now because the world is watching. The world is watching. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, always, we're to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. And we're to do it with gentleness and respect. People are supposed to ask, huh, what is so different about him? What is so different about her? Why are they rejoicing with hope in such a time as this? Well, Um, I need to share something with you. They should have a reason to ask. Listen to the words of Michael Scott to Toby in the office. Now, I want to say this. I believe, based on this 
um, sitcom The Office that it is 100% appropriate to hate a fictitious character. I hate Michael Scott. He is a fictitious character, and I believe it's okay to hate him. I say that in jest. I say that in fun. But if you watch him even for one episode, you just want to slap him in the face. And here's a perfect example for why. He says to Toby, the flat personality human resources manager that wants to make sure everything's in order in the office, this is what he says. Is he just stares at this. He just stares right at Toby for like five seconds of silence. And this is what he says. Why are you the way that you are? Honestly, every time I try and do something fun or exciting, you make it not that way. I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. That is a classic office line statement by Michael Scott. And it makes me want to smack him because he's so mean. But look at it. But, but, but look at this. Why are you the way that you are? Your neighbors should see you rejoicing in hope and asking, why are you the way that you are? Why are you rejoicing in hope in such a time as this? It's going to provoke a response. They're going, some will say, I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. Man, I choose to be full of hope and rejoicing. I can't stand that about you. You should be wallowing with me in fear. Or it's going to provoke the question, why are you like that? I want some of that. Personal evangelism. The way we rejoice in hope should draw other people to us to ask the question, why are you able to rejoice? You should have a hope to share. Let your testimony of rejoicing in hope bring people to question that hope you have. All right, we got to keep moving. What has rejoicing and hope looked like for you lately? All right, that's the question. What has your, what has your rejoicing and hope looked like lately? What impacts your ability to rejoice? What causes your hope to falter? That brings us to our second point. Be patient in tribulation. We're to rejoice in hope. And then we're to be patient in tribulation. And I'm like, oh my goodness, here we go again. We're talking about tribulation. We're talking about trial. We're talking about suffering. Why do we always talk about that so much? Why do we focus so much on the hardship of life? Well, let's just put it this way. First of all, because the Bible does it too. The Bible does. Jesus says himself, in this world, you will have trouble. That's what he says. In this world, you will have trouble. He witnessed the fall of mankind and everything that it introduced. He walked this world and he knew what it was like to experience trial. And he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Not only does the Bible speak it, but I know this for sure. If you are a person that has escaped hardship, then man, come and talk to me because I would love to know. There are, there are hardships that we invite into our lives, and there are hardships that life brings to us and we don't ask for. Life bears testimony to what Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. You know what's really crazy? I can't, I can't get over how the Lord ordains who preaches when. I didn't give it a thought until I sat down at my computer and started preparing this sermon that today is June 28th. You know what yesterday was? June 27th. June 27th is the anniversary of the accident 
that my late wife was in that put her into a coma that will eventually, after five weeks, claim her life. I know, I know that hardship comes. And 20 years ago, crazy hardship came into my life. 20 years ago yesterday. And you want to know how to share, have a hope to share? As I was sitting with a dear friend of Andrea's and mine, this is what she reminded me of. She said, look, we, she didn't use these words, but what she was saying is we have, rejoic- we, have, we have reason to rejoice in hope. And here's why. Because whether God chooses to heal her in this life or he chooses to heal her in eternity, he's going to do one of the two. And he did. And I celebrate it 20 years later that she is experiencing the fullness of her hope. Life is going to bring you trouble. It's going to bring you trouble. And are you ready for it? Be patient in tribulation because it's going to come. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. All the brokenness of this world, I am in charge of, I have overcome it, and I am restoring it, and I am going to restore it to its completeness someday. That's our hope. That's why we can be patient in tribulation. What are you currently facing? I'm going to come back to that. What are you currently facing? Do this. Let's do this together. Let's make tribulation our friend. It should be our friend. It should be a tool, and this is why, because what the enemy means for not good, what he means for evil, God means for good. So you take the hardship that comes into your life, and you turn it on its head, and you use it for the glory of the Lord in your life. Make tribulation your tool and your friend. Listen to this. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. We can look at it right now. Not only that, but we rejoice. Look at this. We're going from rejoice to hope. Look at the process, though. In our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, patience. Suffering produces endurance. We can rejoice in it. It produces endurance. It produces character. Endurance produces character. And character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame. The NASB says this, um, another version of the Bible. The the New American Standard says that it does not disappoint us. Hope does not disappoint us. We can rejoice in our sufferings knowing this, that it's ultimately going to result in that which does not disappoint, and that's our hope in the person of Jesus Christ. That he has poured out, that has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us man. Be patient in tribulation, and we can rejoice in hope because of this truth. Joseph, at the beginning of his life, I'm sure was not the Joseph he was at the end. When his brother sold him into slavery, sent him, he, was, he, was, he was sent off to a place that was a people not his own, spoke a language that was not his own. He was now a slave. He was not a free man. Then he was wrongfully accused of something, thrown into prison for a number of years. And at the end, he's able to stand in front of his brothers. No bitterness in his heart because the Lord used the trial and the tribulation in his life to bring him to a place where he could look upon his brothers with grace and with empathy and with mercy and say this, yeah, I know. I know you sold me into slavery and I get it. But what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he used it for good to save the lives of countless people 
changing Joseph's heart. Let's make, let's be patient in our tribulation and let's make tribulation and trial our friend. It does hurt. I know that. I know that. And listen, it's okay. It's okay that it hurts. We are here for you and we want to help you through the hurt, but it should never, ever, your pain should never, ever cause you to question your hope or take away your reason for rejoicing. Okay? What impacts our ability to rejoice? What causes our hope to falter? Impatience and tribulation. And what's the answer for this? Spending time at the feet of Jesus. And that brings us to our third. Responding to hardship. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Listen, we're to be fervent, fervent in our prayer. That's one of our pillars. That's a mark of someone who calls Summit Church their home. You are someone that is fervent in prayer. Why don't we like to pray? Why do we always talk first and pray second? I'll use Wendy and I as an example. You know, we have, we have things in the family, about the family to talk about. We have stuff about our home to talk about. We have this hardship over here and that trial over there. And we go on three and a half mile walks and we spend like 3.45 miles talking about the problem. And then we spend like point, I don't, I'm, I've lost track, point zero five of those miles, tenths of a mile, you know what I'm saying, praying about it. Why do we, oh, we always talk first and pray second? Why do we talk more and pray less? Here's why, because we think we think we can figure it out. The more we talk about it, the easier it's going to be to figure it out. The longer we talk about it, the more quickly the answer is going to come. That's our way. That's man's way. That's the way Wendy and I respond to it, to our shame. Yeah, we get to prayer, but not first. We should first come with fervent and constant prayer, placing our needs at the feet of Jesus. Maybe, you know, I, this is the, this is the I know, I wish I had a different answer for you at the same time I don't. How, do, how, how can we be patient in tribulation? How can, we, how can we refine our rejoicing and hope? It's by being at the feet of Jesus, being constantly at the feet of Jesus. Sometimes we really don't think that God will figure it out for us. We don't trust him. Why? Well, simply because we just don't trust Oftentimes, it's because we see God as being someone that's far off and disconnected and doesn't understand. Now, listen, I want you to listen to me. Jesus is with you. When he makes a promise, he fulfills it. He promises to never leave you or forsake you. He is there. He cares. And he knows exactly what you're going through. Look at what Hebrews chapter 4 says of him. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Our confession. Hold fast our confession. The beginning of our hope, our salvation, our, our eternal um, promise in Christ. The fulfillment, the beginning of our hope. Hold fast our confession. That's what our confession is. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus is our high priest and he knows how to sympathize with our weak weaknesses because he is one who in every respect 
has been tempted as we are, and yet he did it without sin. He responded to temptation without sin. And then look at this. Man, if you need reason to rejoice, if you need reason to trust in our Lord, that he knows how to respond to the things we are dealing with, we are to then with confidence draw near, draw near to the throne of grace. Why? Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive what? Mercy. This is where we find mercy. This is where we receive mercy. This is where we find grace in our time of need. Where? At the throne of grace, at the feet of Jesus. If you're being pushed around and impatient because of the trials, you need to spend more time at the feet of Jesus because that's where mercy is. That's where grace is in your time of need. And so that's what we're going to do right now. As we gather together, as your church is gathering together, we're going to pause for five minutes and we're going to pray over this passage together. So I want you to hit the pause button. You hit the pause button and I want you to pray. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Use that as the framework for your prayer for the next five minutes, five minutes. And then when you hit on pause, I'll be here to lead you through again, okay? All right, here we go. Okay, so unpause. After you've prayed, we are to rejoice in hope, to be patient, to be patient in tribulation, and to be constant in prayer. So let me say this. Here's what, you, I know the question is always, so what's, in, what's at stake for me? For you, keep in mind that life is always, always, always going to bring challenges into your life that are going to reveal your absolute need for Jesus in it. Some trials we invite into our lives, some trials we don't, but they are coming nonetheless. The more you're able to receive the persuasive nature of the truth of this passage, the easier it's going to be to you respond like Jesus did as he, as he faced the cross. With joy, with joy, he faced down the shame that was coming, the scorn that was coming, the, the scary beatings and, and, and mistreatment that he was going to experience, being separated from God the Father. The more you take on the likeness of Christ, the easier it's going to be to remain patient in tribulation and to rejoice in hope. All right, so, and here's your, here's your peace in the life of the church. Here's what's at stake for the church. If you're not taking on the likeness of Christ, if you're being pushed around by your trials, if you are not remaining constant in prayer, if you are not rejoicing in your hope, here's what's happening. These tribulations are going to push you to the corner of the church. You're going to make a call to your small group leader, and you're going to say, you know what, we need some time out with our small group. We just need some time for ourselves. You're going to back out of a small group before you know it. You're going to lose contact with your church. You might come once a month. And the next thing I know as an elder, I'm going to receive a call that says you're leaving. That's what happens when we don't take seriously, when we're not, we don't receive the persuasive nature of the truths of these, these passages. Here's my great admonition. Don't let that happen. Let's together, let's together rejoice in hope. Let's together be patient in tribulation and let's together be constant in prayer. Know this, I can't wait to see you again 
and remember that you are loved.